I am Tom Holland, and this is, yes, Fitness Disrupted 2.0. Are you fasting? Are you going for periods of time without eating? Or are you on a different diet? As I record this, we are almost through with January, so even though this will apply whenever you listen to this podcast, uh, a lot of people doing Whole30, all those different diets that get really popular in January, and then shockingly, as the year progresses, what happens? They fall off in popularity. Now, we're going to look at a study... It's about time-restricted eating. So, yeah, this goes to fasting. This goes to fasting in windows of time without eating. And let me say right up front, every diet works. Every diet works. That's the problem because it works in the short term. But here's an analogy, (laughs) just a a visual for you. (sighs) Think of trying to get to the top of a hill, okay? And you sprint up it, and you get pretty far, pretty fast, for 30, you know, for a short amount of time. Leave it at that. It's going to go further. Yeah, You get get pretty far, but then you fall back down. You not only fall back down to the start where you began, but oftentimes you fall a little further, a little farther back. That's diets. And you never get to the top. And every time you sprint up fast and you do this over and over again, just picture that. Picture like the slide back down and that you end up further back. And the further back is physically and mentally, which are both a huge part of the problem, right? Physically, you lower your metabolism. You deprive yourself. You eat into your Uh, protein stores in your muscle. You lower your metabolism. That's falling further behind. So you're never getting to the top. You're never getting to your goal. And each time is a little harder. And each time it erodes on the psychological side, the belief that you can do it. That's why I have such a problem with any diet. You're going to hear this from anyone worth their salt in this industry. Any diet that has an end date. Now, I get it as well. I get the reset thing. But think of that reset again. The reset is just sprinting up that mountain and then falling back down. If you got to stay where you ended up on that mountain and then you kept moving forward, that's different. That doesn't exist. In my 30 plus years in this industry, I can't really tell you one person who I know, and this is not hyperbole, not one who went on a restrictive diet, 30 days or whatever, and said that was the solution. I don't know that person, you know, and there are people that, of course, are successful short term and successful short term. Like, you know, I'm, I'm on this diet again and I lost a lot of weight on it last time, but they gained it back. And as simplistic as it sounds, when your diet has an end date, you're not only going up that mountain, falling back down, 
you're not going on the journey you need to go on. You're not finding the healthy way, the way for a lifetime that you can do it. And that exists. But that doesn't sell the books. That doesn't give you that 30-day weight loss. That doesn't give you something to talk about at cocktail parties and go on with friends. I know it's a little bit of tough love, but I'm tired of seeing the struggle. And I want to tell you that myself and many others who have been successful are living proof that it's not about deprivation. And I'm going to give you the science here. And I have family members on intermittent fasting. And shockingly, do you think it, of course it works for them. When you have an issue with food, when you have a weight issue and you do anything to change that behavior, especially going for longer periods of time without eating, of course you're going to see weight loss. When you cut carbs, you're basically cutting more of the processed foods. You're also depriving and eliminating water from your body, which is where you see that insane weight loss in a short amount of time. It's water weight. Carbohydrate molecules attract water. You deprive your body of the carbs. Simple science that most people aren't aware of. But of course, you're going to see those short-term results. But at what cost again, psychologically and physiologically? Stop running up that mountain and falling back down. Running up that mountain and falling back down. Smaller steps, consistent, will get you to the top. And I'm tired of people not getting to the top. And so here's another great study on basically fasting. And not just fasting, but within this, you're going to hear about meal frequency, meal, you know, eating more frequently. <laughs> like, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Why are only at a time and, and in a place where food is so plentiful would we purposefully starve ourselves? Again, tough love, but it's true. Only when food is ridiculously plentiful, would we not seek out the healthy foods that we need? It's not about what we don't consume when it comes to true health, true wellness. It's about what we do. And that goes for exercise too. And that goes for your mental game too. It's what we do, not what we don't do. And so I I get it. I get it because there's so many diets out there and there's so many books and there's so many celebrities and there's so much garbage on social media. But here we go. Let's get right into the study. I'm going to read significant, well, you know, the abstract and then I pulled out a couple paragraphs and I'm going to give you the bullet points as I normally do. So you're going to get the best. You don't have to find these studies. And this came out, by the way, January 2023. Could not be more recent. Journal of the American Heart Association. Pretty good. And the... uh, The title is Association of Eating and Sleeping Intervals with Weight Change Over Time, the the Daily 24 cohort. What is really different and interesting about this study is that they used an app. This is where fit tech matters, right? The, The stuff so many people track talked about this and will continue to talk about it. Again, amazing. Um, But does it make a difference? Do we measure it because it's important or is it important because we measure it? Great line. Uh, I attribute it to David Epstein, the sports gene author. Amazing. But 
This is what's really cool is that so many studies, the vast majority of studies as, as I talk about, have to be done what? On personal recall, on questionnaires. And people underestimate what they consume and overestimate their exercise, their movement. And that's problematic. Now it's built in and studies are done and control for this stuff or try to you know, do their best. But this is where fitness technology is amazing. So they created an app for this study where people would in real time say they ate and basically how much they ate. Really important. And this is what they were looking for. All right, let me get into the specifics. Uh, again, Journal of the American Heart Association, January 2023. Um, here's the background from the abstract. We aim to evaluate the association between meal intervals and weight trajectory among adults from a clinical cohort, okay? So they wanna see what timing, how you know long from the first meal to the last meal, um, what that plays, how that plays a role in weight gain or weight loss, okay? Uh, the methods, here we go. This is a multi-site prospective cohort study of adults recruited from three health systems. Over the six-month study period, 547 participants downloaded and used a mobile app to record the timing of meals and sleep for at least one day. We obtained information on weight and comorbidities at each outpatient visit from electronic health records for up to 10 years before and until 10 months after baseline. Mean age was 51, body mass index was 30, 77% uh, were women, 77% were white. Okay, so there you go. You know, certain things you could say um, were issues or not, but those were the specifics, pretty good, okay? Um, let me just read a little bit here, just again to hammer home what you so often don't see or you see the exact opposite in the press. Uh, overweight and obesity are well-established, modifiable chronic disease risk factors. Let me read that again. Overweight and obesity are well-established, modifiable chronic disease risk factors that affect greater more than 70% of U.S. adults. They say here, the limited success of behavioral approaches targeting calorie restriction, modified diet composition, and increased physical activity to control overweight and obesity have prompted the development of alternative strategies that can, that can increase success rates. I'd argue that the calorie restriction, the modified diet composition, and the increased physical activity are all flawed. You can't outrun your fork. You can't outrun your fork. Exercise is not the primary driver of weight loss. It's a, it's a part, it's all connected, but I just have to say there that the strategies and the approach to weight loss has been completely flawed and it's been restrictive, okay? Uh, experimental and mechanistic studies suggest that the timing of food intake, uh, for example, through intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding could regulate metabolic function and reduce body weight. Specifically, time-restricted feeding, restricting food intake uh, to 4 to 12 hours per day without reduced calorie intake. Okay, so again, you're just eating the same amount of calories, same number of calories within a shorter time frame. Has been associated with improved body weight homeostasis and is a proposed weight reduction strategy. Yeah, it works. It works. It's hard to eat the same number of calories, I would argue when you first go on something like this. And again, I'm thinking family members who do this. And one thing that is not spoken about in this study, and when you have this discussion about 
you know, same calories within shorter time frame. It's the quality of the food, people, that matters. This is when people will say a calorie is not a calorie and they try to confuse you. Yeah, from a hunger perspective, from a satiety perspective. That's what makes a difference. But as you'll see in the conclusion, they get to the true science on what causes weight loss. Um, what else do I want to read for you from this? Uh However, in randomized clinical trials, time-restricted meal regimens resulted in similar weight loss compared with eating throughout the day, but had beneficial effects. So here you go. Here's a positive, right? When you uh, reduce the window of time you eat, uh, had beneficial effects on cardiometabolic risk factors, including abdominal fat loss, glucose regulation, insulin resistance, blood pressure, and lipid profile. Those are amazing things. You go, why wouldn't you do it? because you can get the similar benefits for a lifetime. Yes, you're going to get those benefits in a short amount of time, but you're going to fall down the mountain again. And if you're not teaching yourself to eat well, because what many people do, and this is, again, not discussed that, uh, as I have seen in the literature, for the most part, is the quality of the calories you eat. So you don't eat for a you know, certain amount of time, and then you eat the highly processed foods. The quality of the food is not looked at. So, of course, when you limit your calories and most likely increase the quality somewhat, really good things are going to happen. Glucose regulation, insulin resistance, blood pressure, lipid profile, positive. But as they say right here, nevertheless, these studies were limited by small sample sizes, relatively short durations, and populations with specific conditions such as prediabetes or overweight obesity. Okay, but here you go. And here's the takeaway, one of the first big takeaways from this. Yes, you get those short-term benefits from uh, intermittent fasting. Questions remain about the potential, the potential benefits of time-restricted eating patterns, especially the challenges with maintaining this eating behavior. I don't want you to do anything, exercise, nutrition, motivation, behavioral changes that you can't do forever. And again, you go, well, it's a reset. It's going to get me start. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't. You get the short-term fix. You feel good about yourself. It's almost like a drug, right? You get that instant hit, and then you're back where you started. And as I said at the start, you're not usually even back where you started. You're below. And the psychological component, I can't emphasize enough. The self-efficacy, the belief that you can't do it. That you got to do, you got to stay on this roller coaster, ups and downs and ups and downs. That's a huge problem. Observational studies are better suited to evaluate long-term changes, but no population-based studies have been specifically designed to evaluate the association between meal intervals and changes in weight over time. That's interesting, right? And that's what this study's looking at. Um, in a secondary data analysis from a weight loss of 420 Spanish participants followed for 20 weeks showed that later lunch eaters after 3 p.m. had less weight loss compared with early lunch eaters before 3 p.m. with equivalent caloric intake and physical activity. Okay. However, previous studies were not able to evaluate, evaluate meal intervals as they lacked real-time assessment of eating time. So again, I believe... And the research shows it is really strongly supportive of front-loading your day, eating a huge breakfast. And then if you want to pull back, 
as the day progresses, that makes sense. That you're not taking in the majority of your calories at night, which the vast majority of people do. Because they skip breakfast, they get ridiculously hungry, you eat processed foods, and the blood sugar roller coaster again gets worse and worse as the day progresses. And then you're starving. And I've been there. Okay? I'm an experiment of one, yes. And I've had thousands of clients over the years. But this is what the evidence points to. Okay? In addition to windows between meals, the role of the frequency and size of meals on weight has been also controversial. Cross-sectional studies have shown that a greater meal frequency was either not associated or associated with uh, reduced prevalence of abdominal and general obesity, while two large-scale... Getting worked up. Prospective cohort studies showed that a greater meal frequency was associated with increased weight gain and body mass index. So what this discussion goes through, I'm going to cut that short here, is it's all over the place. You can find both, you know, both sides of the argument, both sides of the debate, as you can in just about everything. Should you stretch? Should you not stretch? All of that stuff. But what is so cool about this study, again, is the app, is the real-time data. You know, the participants would literally open their app, say, I just ate, and here was the size of the meal. And then they're going to look at all the metrics, um, weight and BMI and all of that stuff during the course of the study. Okay. Uh, the primary objective of this cohort study was to evaluate the longitudinal association between time from first to last meal with weight trajectories over time among adults in a population-based clinical cohort with detailed real-time information collected using a dedicated smartphone application. Okay, just reiterated what I said. And the secondary objective, objectives were to evaluate the associations, associations of time from wake up to first meal, okay, basically skipping breakfast again, uh, last meal to sleep. See, this is what's amazing, really important about this study, looking at a bunch of things that are really important when we talk about weight loss and eating. Um, Last meal to sleep, sleep duration, and the number of meals with weight trajectories. So awesome. Okay, so you got fasting in here to some degree. You've got the number of meals. You've got do you skip breakfast? You've got how many calories do you consume late at night? How long do you sleep? And again, the frequency of meals. It's a lot of great stuff here. Okay, Let me just really quickly read you the app uh, that they used here. Just a little details on that. With feedback from end users and patient stakeholders, our team designed the the daily 24 mobile application for participants uh, participants to record their timing of waking up, sleeping, and each occasion for each 24 hour window in real time. This is so cool. This is what we need so much more of. We need so much more of this. Think about this. I've thought about this. We all need this app. When you start to feel lousy, you record it in your app, right? If we recorded, you know, uh, what we ate. Now, obviously, we're not going to record everything. But my point is, if we recorded so many things, like when you got an injury and it was tracking your steps and all of this data that we are recording to some degree, and then we could add stuff in there as well on our own. And then you go to your doctor. And they can open up and look at this data when we have like six minutes with our GP and there should be a way for them to condense this data down. This is what we need. This is what we need. Sure, we can, you know, use the bands to look at our resting heart rate and things like that. 
and the number of steps, but like we, we need so much more than that. And it's, it, it's so possible to track certain things. And then again, like this app, have the person put certain things in. When I was a coach, this is exactly what you did. You used programs like Training Peaks. And I would have clients, what, input their data. Tell me what you did. Your runs, your swims, your bikes if I had triathletes. You know, your runs, your strength training for the, the runners I coached. And then, you know, we would start to look at food and then the injuries. And you'd go, oh, wait, they've got an injury? Let's look back at their history. And so when you have the data like that, you can start to see what? Patterns. Because it, there's never one thing in isolation. I said this to someone this morning, walking the dogs. Woman, ran into a friend, plantar fasciitis. And I said, what did you know your doctor tell you? And it wasn't one thing, thank goodness. It wasn't like, if there was one cause of all of these issues, we wouldn't really have the issues, would we? So in other words, when you have something like plantar fasciitis and a professional says, well, it's your shoes. <laughs> Without, like... If it were that simple, again, we wouldn't have the issues we have. So the patterns, the data, the collection is really important. And you can do this for yourself. This is getting to know your body. This is getting to know yourself. Okay? But again, this is what's so cool about this study and this app. Uh, briefly, the only eating behaviors assessed were meal timing, i.e. when meals were consumed, and approximate meal size. Still really good. For each eating occasion, participants first indicated the time using a 24-hour wheel and then selected the type and estimated size of a meal from a drop-down menu. Uh, for example, small meal, less than 500 calories, medium, or large. Okay, not perfect, but still pretty darn good. Um, email, short messages, service text messages, and in-app notifications encourage participants to use the app. So the app is, is working with them as well. Okay. And they looked at sleep too, based on the timing of sleep and eating occasions. For each day, we calculated the duration of the interval from the first to the last meal, from waking to the first meal, and from the last meal to sleep. Really interesting. Again, did you eat breakfast essentially? Did you stop eating at 7 p.m. and go to bed at midnight? This is interesting stuff. We need much more of this. Uh, sleep duration was calculated as time from falling asleep to waking up. Meal and sleep intervals were calculated uh, only for complete daily entries and data from all complete days were averaged across all complete days for each participant. Okay, here's the important points. So again, you got the gist of it. Really cool, an app. When are you eating? Basically, how big is your meal? And let's see what that does, what, what that tells us. Okay, here's how many points did I pull out for you. Six. Six important points. Wrapping it up. Total daily number of large and medium meals was associated with increased weight over follow-up time, while total number of small meals was associated with decreasing weight. Makes sense, the first part, for the vast majority of uh, just, it's just common sense, right? Total number, if you ate more big meals, you gained weight. Total number of small meals, eating more frequently throughout the day, medium-sized meals, less food, but I'd argue higher quality, greater satiety, decreasing weight. That's point number one. Point number two, the average daily number of large and medium meals was associated, again, with increased weight over time, suggesting that meal frequency and meal sizes, rather than the timing of meals, was a stronger determinant of weight gain over time. 
So this is saying, hey, meal timing, not as important as like your, all these fitness people. You know, you're, you're not eating at the right time. Well, okay, as, if, if you're talking about breakfast, I'm with you. But if you're making the simple complex to get some views, as the vast majority are, you lost me and you're wrong, okay? In the perspective component of our analysis, participants with shorter time from wake up to first meal and with longer time from last meal to sleep appeared to have less weight increase. Shocking, right? In other words, if you front loaded your day and if you ate fewer calories later at night before you went to bed, less weight increase. I'm at a loss for words (laughs) because we've been talking about this for years. It's just more support of everything we talk about, everything I talk about. And let me say this. If you skip breakfast and you're a healthy weight and your numbers are good when you go to your doctor, good on you. But that's not the vast majority of people. All right? If what you're doing works and you've been doing it for a long time, not not 30 days, not 20 days, not on and off. It's about a lifetime. All right. Number four, important point. (laughs) They looked at other studies. So just a little discussion that they had within this study. uh, And they they said in randomized clinical trials of up to 116 overweight or obese participants, up to one year after intervention, time-restricted eating did not increase weight loss compared with no intervention or consistent meal timing schedule. In other words, again, you get the same results over time without depriving yourself, without changing a behavior that you're not going to keep for a lifetime. Our finding of a lack of association between the time from first to last meal and weight changes was consistent with the results of these clinical trials. Again, time-restricted eating did not increase weight loss compared with no intervention or consistent meal timing schedules. Long-term, okay? We got two more. Also, other cross-sectional and prospective cohort studies have found that skipping breakfast and night eating were associated with, drumroll please, increased adiposity, fat accumulation, body fat, gaining weight. Other cross-sectional and prospective cohort studies have found that skipping breakfast and eating at night were associated with increased weight gain. In fact, the American Dietetic Association guideline on weight management suggests that energy consumption during the day is preferable to eating in the evening. I've heard this somewhere before. Oh, many of my prior podcasts and many of the prior studies. Importantly, we found an association between the eating of more frequent and larger meals per day and weight increase, indicating that the, here we go, oh, what you don't see in the the media, indicating that total overall caloric intake is the major driver of weight gain. I'm going to read that two more times, indicating that total overall caloric intake is the major driver of weight gain. Total caloric intake, major driver of weight gain. 
Yeah, the quality matters. Yeah, you're going to be hungrier with different types of calories. But total overall caloric intake, major driver of weight gain, that's called science and common sense, which has been taken out of this discussion. All right, let's wrap it up. Conclusion from them. Number of daily meals was positively associated with weight change over six years. Our findings did not support the use of time-restricted eating as a strategy for long-term weight loss in a general medical population. Short-term, you got it. Every single diet out there is going to work for you. But how many times do you want to fall down that mountain? Do you ever want to get to the top? Do you ever want to feel good? And sit down at a table and, and know that you're choosing to eat. You're not looking at your plate and thinking, what can I have? I don't ever have that kind of discussion with myself. Three final bullet points. Mean interval from first to last meal was 11.5 hours and was not associated with weight change. The number of meals per day was positively associated with weight change. The frequency rather than the timing of meals is a stronger determinant of weight change over time. And our findings finally did not support the use of time-restricted eating again as a strategy for long-term weight loss. Stop torturing yourself. Find the foods that work for you. Learn more about foods through this podcast and other <laughs> quality sources of information. Healthy carbohydrates, healthy uh, sources of fat, lean sources of protein, so many options within those buckets. Carbs aren't the enemy, fat's not the enemy. There's so many different foods. You can be vegan. You can be gluten-free. You can do all of those things, any of those things, and be healthy. But you want to choose something that you do for a lifetime and where you get in everything you need and you know enough about it so that you can be healthy because that's what it's about. Yeah, uh, we're talking weight loss here. But it's about longevity. It's about living our best lives as, long, uh, as well as long lives. More data, more science. I'm just bringing you the science. I just want to find the best information for myself and for you. That's it. If fasting, now, now there, of course, there's benefits to fasting and, and, sell and stuff like that. But guess what? That's why it's called breakfast. That's why we sleep. Okay? If you want to fast, if you want to skip a meal, do it, as this study said, towards the end of the day. So whenever I have dieted down for events, one of the things I have done is just that. I have stopped eating one, two, three hours earlier. I'm generally a snacker, like 9 or 10 at night. I stay up late. When I'm training for an Ironman or something like that and I want to get my weight down, one of the things I do is I cut it back. And I don't cut it back right away. I might stop eating at 8.30, then 8 o'clock, then 7.30 over time. It takes a while. But that's where to do it. So let's think about that. You stop eating at 8. And you get up at 8. Or I'm sorry, well, Oh, who knows what time you get up? I get up for it. Sounds late to me. Uh, let's say you eat your first meal at eight. That's 12 hours. That's a pretty good fast. Why do you have to do it during the day? 
Why do you have to do it when you're awake? The human body's really smart. You know, yes, the adaptations we've gone through because we didn't have access to food, sure, those were to survive. It's not where we are today. Enough. Whew, I love this stuff. Love these studies. Amazing. Just more data, more building blocks, more support of everything we talk about. Breakfast and meal timing and behavior change for a lifetime. All right. Tom H. Vitt is Instagram and Twitter. You want to reach out, questions, comments, uh, go there. Going to be posting a lot more content, workouts, nutrition there as well. Lots of it uh, in support of the show. Um, you can go to teamholland.com as well. Website, email me through there. Fitnessdisrupted.com will bring you to that same website. Uh, please support this show. So um, subscribe, follow, comment, rate, whatever you can do to support it is greatly appreciated. Uh, and remember... There are three things we all control, and these studies support that. I want you to have hope. When these articles, professionals, with quotations around that term, tell you you can't do it, I have a problem with that. Because that's not what the science says. Give it time. Get on that journey. Experiment. Find the exercise you love. Find the healthy foods you love and do it for a lifetime. I am Tom Holland. This is Fitness Disrupted 2.0. Believe in yourself. And here is Jack LaLanne. I hope that each and every one of you wonderful people that are listening to Tom's great show will do something for the most important person on this earth, you. 